you know, may not appear as they do far away. Obviously, the further away you are, you can't see the details. Unless maybe you're with the NSA and they have their good spy satellites. I had a friend who worked for the NSA and he said they could tell you the, title, the name of a golf ball from space. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he told me. But anyway, God's watching us from a distance. And we noted in the life of God's people that he watched over the world, especially his people. We talked about Adam and Eve and the creation and the fall and Cain and Abel. We talked about, or I talked about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Talked about Saul and David. And so this sermon is to go further into some of those characteristics that I basically just mentioned in passing. To get a little bit more in-depth in it. And to remind you as well that we're studying about David in our class on Sunday morning. I want to cover three characteristics of David's life. The first one, that he was spiritual, that he was humble, and that he was trusting. I asked the class about what it means to be spiritual this morning. And I think spiritual is a word that many use sometimes, but I think it's a word that's under, misabused, that is abused and misused, maybe misunderstood. It is an abstract concept that is somewhat hard to define. Some people use it because they're disenchanted, as we talked in class, about organized religion. They don't want to be held in by the constraints of some specific teaching. I think that spirituality is, for you and me as Christians, is just an awareness that there's more to life in this world. And that we need to seek God. We need to find him. That points us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 where Solomon wrote, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. People have written and said that there is a God-shaped void in the lives of people. That may be true. That may be one good way to look at it. He's placed eternity in our hearts. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 57 and verse 15, And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Being spiritual means that you're seeking things beyond this world because you know that there's more to life than this. I'm I'm not able to create anything. God created the heavens and the earth. And I think David learned this and knew it to be true. I think he first learned it in following the Jewish tradition of of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Where Moses had said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You know, it is learning about God. It is learning who He is 
and what he's told us. This was commanded by the fathers to their children day and night. When you get up, when you're going about your day, at evening, you shall teach them to your children. And I think David learned it well. At some point in David's life, he wrote the 139th Psalm. And I think this really illustrates the spiritual nature of, of man and of God showing us that it's beyond us. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and the dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, you are there. Even your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light be about me as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. It's telling us God knows everything about us. From a distance, God is watching over us. And we learn to be spiritual as we learn to focus that this life is not it. Jesus ran, had a, met a woman at a well in John chapter 4, John writes for us. And he told her that God seeks true worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. I think true worship is going to be from the heart. It's not contrived, and I think that's part of what he was saying there. Now, there may be some ancillary aspects of it as worship according to how God has revealed to him, revealed to us how he wants us to worship him. But ultimately, it has to be from the heart, because if it's not from the heart, it's not really worship. It's just going through the motions. And in worship in spirit, it's recognizing that it's not in Jerusalem. It's not in another place upon this earth. It is God is everywhere that we will never escape him. God is there. And so we worship him in spirit and in truth. The second aspect of this, I said, was that David was a humble man. You learn humility when you're the youngest in the family. Because, you know, everything gets thrown upon you. You're the youngest. You could take care of that dirty job. I did it when I was young, so now it's your turn. You know, we were all the youngest at one point in time. If we're an only child, we're always the youngest. And we're always the oldest. But David was the youngest in his family. Also, he was a shepherd. When we come to know him, he's not a soldier. You know, we give a lot of appreciation, and we should, to those who serve in the military. Because of the job that they do, it takes them away from home oftentimes, places them in harm's way. David was a shepherd. His brothers were out on the front lines when we get over to into 1 Samuel chapter 17 because there was a man there by the name of Goliath. David was a shepherd and God took him from the sheepfolds, from following 
the nursing lambs and brought him to shepherd the people of Jacob, Israel, his inheritance. And it was somewhere along the line as David was growing up that God was seeing a man who was out there just doing, putting up with the everyday tasks faithfully. Because that's what he was called to do. And so the 89th Psalm says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. That anointing would come sometime later in David's life, but it would be an anointing just the same. When the people came to Samuel and said, appoint a king over them, Samuel was grieved. God told him, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. They rejected God because they were hard-hearted, stubborn, stiff-necked people. They wanted to be like all the other nations. I think Saul let his kingship kind of go to his head. Because when he sinned those four times, you know, when he offered a sacrifice before the Philistines, Samuel was late in coming. In 1 Samuel 13, we read of this, and that's when Samuel informed him when he got there, says, God has taken the kingdom from you. He would have established you, but you did it your way. But what gets me is that Saul said, when Samuel challenged him, why did you do this? Well, I forced myself. The people are getting ready to leave. And so I waited seven days. You weren't coming. But after he offers a sacrifice, the burnt offering, Samuel comes down, it tells us. Samuel just says, what have you done? Well, I saw the people scattering. You didn't come within the days appointed, Samuel. It's your fault. The Philistines had mustered at Michmash. Now what am I going to do? I said, They're going to, the Philistines are going to come down against me, and I've not sought God's favor. So I forced myself. I stepped out of my role as king and didn't wait on you. And in a sense, what, Samuel, what Saul was really saying was, I couldn't wait any longer on God. Because you're his servant, you should have been here in time to do this. We hadn't sought God's favor, so I had to force myself to do it because you weren't here. It's your fault. And Samuel said, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul, you blew it. Your heart's not in the right place. David's was. He was humble. I don't know how David reacted when, as we said in class today, when Samuel goes up to Bethlehem and says to Jesse, get your family together, we're going to have a sacrifice, I want you to attend to the feast. And uh, he sees Eliab and God says, that's not the one. He goes through all of, son, of Jesse's sons and they're not the one. He says, Jesse, I can almost see it. Jesse, don't you have another son out here somewhere? Where is he? There's got to be somebody or the Lord wouldn't have sent me here. Well, yeah, I do. David, he's just a young kid out and taking care of the sheep. I didn't figure he needed to come in for this. 
He's just a young kid taking care of sheep. Go get him. But that was the one. When I think of somebody who's humble, I know that God, well, he humbles the proud and he exalts those who are humble. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor there is the Greek word patokos. It means as a beggar, one who is without influence of wealth, influence, position, and honor. That's what we become before God. That's the kind of person that God seeks is because that's the person who will not rely on themselves, but they will rely on God. David was a humble individual. And David lastly trusted in God. He had great faith in God. The Hebrew writer in chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. Now we understand this academically, intellectually, but the question is, do we really believe it? Because what does it mean to come before God in faith and live before God in faith? Well, this is where we will jump ahead of where we are in class and talk about David's time with Goliath. First Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines and the Israelites have gathered together for battle. They were at the valley of Elah. Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other side. And Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. Goliath was a big man. He was from Gath. His height was six cubits. He was about nine to ten feet tall. Maybe taller. I can't do the calculations in my head. Six cubits and a span. Had a helmet of bronze on his head, armed with a coat of mail. Weight of the coat of his, of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Bronze armor on his legs, a javelin bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I always think of a two-by-four. I don't know how big a weaver's beam would be. But two-by-two, I don't know. Big. The spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Can you imagine that poor shield-bearer? I mean, a man like Goliath had to have a huge shield because he was a huge man. I hope he had one of his brothers, who was almost the same size as Goliath, to hold that thing, because it had to be heavy. But anyway, that's an aside. And so Goliath gets there, and he shouts out to the people of Israel and says, Hey, I'm a, I'm a Philistine. Why don't you come out for battle? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come out and fight me. If he can kill me, you know, we'll be your servants. If I kill him, we'll be your, you'll serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. But when Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I don't know how long that went on. But it went on for a while, probably. just wasn't a one-time thing. But here comes David, whose father had said, Hey, David, I need you to go to the front lines where your brothers are. 
this battle with the Philistines, and you need to check on them, and you need to take them some supplies. Give them my regards. You know, you tell them that we're asking God to bless them in this battle. Whatever he would have said. David goes. And he gets there, and he hears these challenges from Goliath. And so he asks the people about him, the soldiers about him. And David heard him. He spoke the same words as he did before. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him. They were much afraid. And they said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. Will give his daughter, give him his daughter, make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who said, what shall be done? I mean, that really gets me asking three times. Would you repeat that please again? That sounds pretty good. I get the king's daughter. Hope she's a babe. My father's house will be free in Israel of taxes. Well, that sounds pretty good. You know, I will get riches. This is going to be wonderful. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they told him again. I mean, it's like none of you guys have enough confidence in God to take him up on this challenge. Now, David's brother Eliab rebuke David why have you come down you've left a few sheep in the wilderness I know your presumption and the evil of your heart you've come down to see the battle David said what did I do I'm just come down like our father said to check up on you guys and so I heard these words well and David somewhere along the line says when the words that David spoke were heard they repeated them before Saul and he sent for David and Saul said, let no man, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with this Philistine. Now Saul tried to discourage him and said, wait a minute, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You're a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. He says, you can't do this. What is David? He doesn't rationalize it away. He doesn't try to debate Saul. He just says, look, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear, took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If he rose up against me, well, if he rose up against me, I struck him and killed, caught him by his beard, struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both bears and lions. This Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. I don't think Saul thought David would be victorious. Because Saul didn't trust in God. But David did. Saul tried to put on David his body armor, give him his implements of war. David wasn't accustomed to them. They didn't fit right. He says, no, I don't need these things. He grabs five smooth stones, puts them in a shepherd's pouch and a sling. And Goliath sees him. We drop down to verse 42. The Philistine looked, saw David, had disdain for him because he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. You come to me with your implements of war. I come before you. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And this is why, so that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And you know the rest of the story because they walk to challenging each other and David takes that sling, puts a rock in it and hurls it and it hits Goliath in his forehead, an unprotected part of his body. What are the odds? God was directing that stone. Now, I'm not taking anything away from David, but I think David would say if he was here today, God directed that stone, not me. David was skilled. He practiced throwing, you know, that rocks, whatever, while he was out tending the sheep. He had bored out there on the, on the pasture lands, I think, have to do something. No doubt that he was good, but in this case, God was directing that stone and gave it the power, the impact that it needed to knock Goliath down. And knock him out for the count so that David could take Goliath's own sword and kill him. Because David trusted in God. You are defying the God. I come before you with the na- in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. I don't need your spear. I don't need your shield. I don't need your armor. Because God will protect me. And that's what David had in his heart. He trusted God. Now it's one thing to trust God in battle. David trusted him at the lowest time in his life, probably. So for this, we jump over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. We know what happens in chapter 12. It's like every time I read this, I want to tell David, don't do it, don't do it. But it's done. It's history. He did it. He's out one evening while his troops are out on the battlefield when he should have been out with the troops. He was back home. Kind of like, well, this is just a little skirmish they can handle. I'm going to stay home and relax. He looks down and sees Bathsheba. She's very attractive. He calls for her. He commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. He has to cover it up so nobody will know. That doesn't work because Uriah is an honorable man. And so he sends Uriah to his death. We know the story. And in chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him about a rich man who had a lamb that he had raised up. It was like one of his children. No, this poor man, this rich man had a friend coming in and he wouldn't impress him, but he, he wanted a good lamb. Now, a lamb that has been cared for like a child is probably going to be a choice lamb. It's going to be well taken care of, well fed, watered. It's going to be very calm, not going to be running around. So the man steals it, kills it, and gives it to his friend. And David's anger was kindled against the man and said, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Hmm. I wonder what Nathan thought of that. We know what he said. But I wonder what his thoughts were from a human perspective. 
Nathan said, you are the man. This says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil what is in his sight? You've killed Uriah, and I'm paraphrasing now. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. There's going to be judgment upon your house. You did it secretly, but I will do the thing before Israel, before the sun. Now, David could have been like Saul, said, well, you know, I'm sorry, Lord. It just I just don't know what got into me. You know, he could have tried to rationalize it away in some way like Saul did when he said, I forced myself to offer the sacrifice of Samuel. I didn't want to do it, but the people were leaving. And so I just knew I had to do it. And David just said, I have sinned against the Lord. David didn't try to say, excuse his behavior. He just knew with God's judgment, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, keep in mind, there was no sacrifice for murder. What was David going to do? He couldn't go off for a sacrifice to get back in the good graces of God, back in fellowship with God. He just humbled himself and said, I have sinned against the Lord. That takes a lot of trust. God, you've been with me. I throw myself on your mercy. I've sinned against God. I can't do anything. Kind of reminds me in some ways of the thief on the cross. He had formerly been ridiculing and, you know, cursing Jesus on the cross. But in Luke's gospel, something had changed. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you shall be with me in paradise. He didn't have the opportunity to do anything. He didn't have the opportunity to change his behavior before God. He was nailed to a cross. He was going to die. But Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise because the man said, remember me. I've done wrong. In those few words, he was saying, I've done it. I've lived a wrong life. I shouldn't have lived the way I did. Forgive me. That's what David was saying. I've sinned against the Lord. It takes a lot to acknowledge our sin. It takes a lot to trust God enough to acknowledge that sin and say, Father, forgive me. I don't want to do this anymore. I need to change my ways. Help me. Those on Pentecost, when Christ was preached that first day, they realized what they had done. They knew what they had done. But Peter takes them back through the law and the prophets and he's preaching to them. And he says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. They were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? All Peter told them was repent and change your ways. Take a 180 degree turn. Change your ways. And come back to God. Repent and be baptized in order that your sins might be forgiven. Give your life to him. Wash away your sins. Paul would later be told as he recounted his conversion experience on that road to Damascus before the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He told them, and I told me, he said, why do you wait? 
Get yourself up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's sometimes the hardest thing to do is to say, is that all there is to it, Lord? My sins are so great, I don't know what to do. David didn't know what to do, but he trusted God that God would take care of it because he gave his life to God. And that's what we have to do. We have to be spiritual in our life, focusing on there's more to life than what we're living in today. We have to look to God in heaven. We have to be humble because without becoming poor in spirit, without wealth, influence, position, and power, you know, that's where we are. With God, we have no influence, no position, no power. That's the humble nature of whom God seeks. And then we have to have trust. We have to have that confidence in God that in the good times, the challenging times, he's going to deliver us and give us victory. And in the times of my life when I drop the ball and drop it terribly, I can still come back to him and say, Father, forgive me. I've sinned. And know that he will. That's the man that David was. That's the man or woman that God wants us to be as well. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know God does. Because from a distance, he's watching over you. He's watching over me. He sees all that we're going through. And he's watching. And he wants you to turn to him. And so, Bill's going to come and lead us in song number 934. Softly and tenderly. Because Jesus calls us, softly and tenderly, to come back to God. So if you have a need, won't you re- please come to Jesus while we stand and sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.